we're trying to just educate as many people as possible that deserts generally don't have much in the way of water. It's an unknown Terran ph- uh, phenomena. Yes, unknown Terran phenomena. It's a UTP. Yes. Yeah. Which is better than a UTI any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, aspirationally, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure. On the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Uh, together, we are bald. Oh, together, we are the Personal Wealth Coach and, and bald. I'm glad you got that straight. Yes, we have to establish, this is full disclosure, you guys need to have uh, total knowledge of the fact that there are two bald men with beards talking to you at the moment. This podcast is called The Personal Wealth Coach, and that's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything, neither, neither does the secretary, whoever the secretary is, and this tape will destruct after it's listened to the dated yourself this tape will destruct your podcast tape is about to self-destruct that's why you can't find the tape in it anymore (laughs) it already has self-destructed because it's too old and uh, the information that we do present in this podcast we get from sources we think are very reliable but we don't make any guarantees as to the completeness or the accuracy of that reliability or anything else we just do the best we can the information that we're providing during this podcast is not considered investment advice. This information is educational because investment advice means that we know exactly who's listening and we can custom tailor all of our advice to them. So prepare to be educated. Uh, we could give some good news. Let's do that. Talking about. Yeah, let's give some good news. We're going to lose our li- all our listeners if we only talk about good news, though. The Fed did their stress test. If they announced the results this week, they they actually go around and test the larger banks in the United States, and they give them a scenario, and they make them go through the scenario of the world comes to a semi end or something, or the dollar crashes, or the euro crashes, or something horrible happens, and would they be able to stand it? And all of the major banks, matter of fact, no bank failed the Fed, the stress test. They all came out. Passing with flying colors. Some of the pieces of the stress that they measure against is they look at the books and see what would happen if 20% or more of the loans outstanding didn't get paid back or went into arrears. Yep. So it's it's a pretty stressful. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like student loans. Exactly like student loans, which is a nice little segue. Um, but anyway, it's good to know the banking system, the the cause of the crash, the underlying, not the cause so much as the reason it was so severe, foundation of our financial system is the banking system. And if the banking system, that foundation is solid and could take a pretty major earthquake, and that's a good metaphor for what the, what the Federal Reserve puts them through, then you can say with some degree of confidence that even if we did get a little something happen, like another shutdown, we at least would not have a banking collapse like we had in 2008 and 2009. Right. The banks are in good shape. There's lots of cash in them. And that's the thing. When we're looking at, you know, people during the shutdown of the pandemic, they often, I would get 
messages about another global financial collapse, another banking collapse that nobody would know what their values were and so on. And that's typical to be afraid of the last collapse. It's like in war, we always train for the last war. And in economic collapses, we always prepare for the last one. Well, the global financial disaster, the collapse, the, uh, the, there's lots of names for it. The Great Recession was predicated on a banking collapse. So the Federal Reserve and Congress and, and all of us got really strict on our banks to make sure that they weren't about to collapse. So they're not about to collapse, even in a difficult situation. Man, it could have been a lot worse if the pandemic had hit right at 2007. That would have been bad with two There's syllables. Another, another little piece of good news in the passing of the stress test. The Federal Reserve cleared the six biggest U.S. banks to return more than $140 billion in dividends to shareholders. Which sounds very dry, but what it's saying is that they didn't need to hang on to their profits just in case they're allowed to distribute it to the, to the owners of the corporation. But that $140 billion goes out as cash. Yeah. And the people who have that money, generally speaking, don't spend it on McDonald's. Correct. I don't know. You could probably buy a lot of McDonald's for $140 billion. Yeah, that's a lot of French fries. Or a lot of McDonald's stores. Anyway, it generally goes back into the market, which is a suggestion that the market probably will do better in the future. There's a, there's a lot of indications out there from a purely economic point of view that the market has a lot of room to move upward. Yeah. We have a, a lot to talk about today. We actually haven't gotten any questions by email, but it's, it's sort of okay this week because we have so much to talk about. Um, when we come back, we're going to take a break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about What's in the infrastructure bill that this bipartisan group of 11 senators and the president agreed upon? Um, let's talk, we're going to talk about um, other governmental issues like what's going on with the student loans? What's the loss to the government for all the interest payments that aren't being made right now? And I'll talk about that in some more detail as well because there's a lot of money out there in student loans, $1.6 trillion. We'll talk about that and what effect the government is feeling from not getting so many payments when it said, hey, you don't have to make your payment for a while. So I said I was going to talk about what's in the bipartisan infrastructure framework. All right, so the, the White House and about 10 Senate Democrat and Republican members so when it says about 10, and earlier in the, in the radio program, uh, Elder Baldy said um, 11. We actually don't know how many senators were involved in this. We think it's around 10 or 11. Yeah, that's, this, is, this is Washington. Welcome. Um, what is it that we're talking about here? This is this concept infrastructure. This is roads, bridges, dams, broadband, public transit, railroads, the stuff that connects our communities and allows commerce. It allows us to buy and sell from each other. Airports, ports, waterways. Um, all of this stuff is important if we want to grow as an economy. The 
Obama administration, the Bush administration, the Trump administration, and now the Biden administration have all agreed on this point that we need it. We just, even though everybody agrees we need it, we haven't all agreed on what exactly we need in it. So it comes forward to this point, which is a really good time to make some investments. We've said in the newsletter that, that there are big issues with infrastructure. I mean, there's bridges now, a bridge across the Mississippi River, a major transit point that has been shut down, and it's continuing to cost massive amounts of money, not to the government, though indirectly in tax later, but in profits to companies that need stuff shipped, that need stuff to get from one place to another. So this, is, this really is a bipartisan subject. They still exist, folks. There are things that we can all agree on, and having a good set of roads to get our stuff around and ourselves around, and a good set of airports and a good set of railroads and, and clean water to drink just because you're not in a third-world country. Uh, those are all pretty important issues for an economic anything. If you want to have any kind of growth, then you need this stuff. We all agree on it. The original plan that uh, President Biden uh, had put forth looked a lot like some of the preliminary work that the Trump administration did on the same subject, including adding lots of funding for health care of the elderly and uh, child care centers. So they shared this. The, the Republican Senate doesn't like the concept of putting health care in infrastructure. So the Trump and the Biden administration don't have a whole lot that they can agree on, but sometimes their arguments with the Senate might fit into something they can agree on. So what's in this new one if it doesn't have all that stuff that people were arguing about? Well, first off, it is the largest amount of money dedicated to bridges since the construction of the interstate highway system, specifically to bridges. Uh, There's been a lot of highway funds allocated as well. And let me kind of give you a brief outline. This is from the White House, but it's the packet that the senators were talking about at the White House. Um, Transportation... In infrastructure, in, in infrastructure, this section of it is about $312 billion. Now, this is something else that confuses economists as well as everybody else. The government does their accounting very differently than normal people. The cost associated with something is not the check that you pay for it. So when you're talking about buying a house, you'd say this is a $350,000 cost. I'm purchasing that. That's not how the government looks at it. They look at what additional expenses the house will have over the coming 5, 8, 10, 13 years, just random numbers in the future. And they say, what are the additional expenses associated with owning this house? We're going to have property taxes. We're going to have electric utilities. We're going to have water utilities. They include that in all their budgets, which is why you can get multiple price tags on this overall bill. You'll see some publications, some reputable publications saying this is a trillion dollar infrastructure plan. You'll see equally reputable places saying it's 1.2 trillion. The difference is whether you're measuring out five years or eight years. And it's really hard to measure the benefits. 
because the benefits come in extra tax revenue because of extra economic growth. That's really hard to estimate. It's even hard to guesstimate, especially when you try to add the way the government does. So we're going to be using the five-year numbers rather than the eight-year numbers, just to kind of give you guys an idea that we understand this stuff a little bit. Not greatly, because it's the government, and nobody can understand the government. Okay, so roads, bridges, and major projects account for about $109 billion of this, about 10% of the total. Uh, Airports, about $25 billion. Water infrastructure is 55 billion. What is that stuff? What does that mean? Well, that's dams, it's reservoirs of all type, including water towers and that sort of thing. Important things to maintain flow of, of commerce. And just to give an example, we talk about broadband infrastructure in here being $65 billion, but this water infrastructure being $55 billion. These are both really big numbers. Well, we've talked over the past several weeks about changes in factory construction. For instance, in the the desert states of Arizona and Nevada, you're getting chip manufacturers from overseas. The, the Taiwan, Taiwan's largest chip manufacturer is building plants in Arizona, which sounds great. Uh, and, and how about like a cloud server farm out in the desert? That's great too, except they need water. So in order to have this kind of expansion, this is one of those weird things about deserts is that they don't generally have a lot of water in them. So we got to get the water out. I know. I'm, you consider I'm, that weird? It's, it's strange. I know. And it's, it's a piece of unknown stuff. We're trying to just educate as many people as possible that deserts generally don't have much in the way of water. It's an unknown Terran ph- uh, phenomena. Yes. Unknown Terran phenomena. It's a UTP. Yes. Yeah. Which is better than a UTI any day of the week. (laughs) (laughs) So getting water to the right places so that we can take advantage of low cost land uh, and lower uh, expense manpower, human power to actually get out and work in these factories means you got to go to places that aren't major hubs of other things because they're already being paid well in those in those major hubs. So that means we got to build the infrastructure out there. And this what this does is purely capitalism raising the well-being of everybody involved. So long as we have good laws in place to protect workers and so on. That's, that's kind of a vital thing. But having said that, getting new jobs out to to rural communities is pretty important if we want to maintain growth. We shouldn't have the urban folks doing really well and the rural folks doing really poorly. We need to spread it out as evenly as we can, give the same kind of opportunity for economic growth across the board. Uh, Another big thing in here is uh, electric vehicle infrastructure. So charging stations are a thing that are pretty important. And if you go back in time, there we go. There we go. We're going back in time. Back in time to when internal combustion was new, uh, filling stations needed help from the government to be out there because there weren't that many of them, which made people think that they weren't that big a deal, which made them 
think that they didn't want to invest in them. Soon as the government stepped in and started pushing the infrastructure, pushing roadways out there, making available loans for spending on filling stations, it caused the internal combustion to do much better than it would have without filling stations. That, that I think, is an understatement. Without filling stations, it would be very difficult to drive your car around for any length of time. So the government's getting involved in electric vehicle infrastructure. There have been a series of major reviewers of the automobile industries, like really major, like across the board. They're the ones that do safety inspections. They're the ones that you turn to to find the value of your vehicle. Lots of them have said that in 10 years, probably half of all new cars will be electric. That won't work well if we don't have charging stations. I mean, it's great that you can make your batteries better and better, and it's great that it's less expensive long-term at this point to have an electric vehicle than an internal combustion vehicle. But if you can't fill your battery up when you're driving, it's not going to help you a bit that it's less expensive long-term. So building this infrastructure is important so that we can bring down cost of transportation, that we can bring down cost of shipping and lots of other stuff involved here. So that's a big deal. And uh, the president wanted to get 50,000 charging stations out there. Uh, President Trump in his first uh, election campaign had said something along those lines too, that he really wanted to see electric vehicle charging stations out there. He later went back on that. And so it's just infrastructure in general is a big deal. When we're looking at this bill, I don't see a lot of controversy in it. It's not even a bill yet. It's an infrastructure. It's a framework for the bill. There's nothing in it that I can point out and say somebody's going to say this is not infrastructure. This is pretty clear. They've also agreed on some of the steps to help pay for it. So this is another one of the things that I've heard a lot of concern about where people are terrified that taxes are going to go up to pay for infrastructure. That's Probably tax revenue will come up when the infrastructure gets better. But one of the, well, the top listed method of paying for this is five words. Reduce the IRS tax gap. Yep. There are a lot of people that are paying a lot less money than they should be. And, over, and that's normal. We've been downsizing the IRS. It's not something I personally complain about. But if we want revenue to the government, you've got to actually pay the people that collect the taxes. I read an article this week that suggested that there was about a trillion dollars of uncollected taxes out there that could be collected by the IRS. Yeah, and that by itself would pay for the infrastructure bill. Trillion dollars here, trillion dollars there, and you're talking about some real money pretty quickly. Yeah, it's trillion dollars. I don't know why they're nickel and diming us. Ugh. And I, I personally see enough activity that goes on that is hiding money from the IRS that I think it's probably a pretty good number. Yeah, even if it's just anecdotal pieces of information that we catch here and there about people taking cash or so on, that's we see enough of it to say there's a lot of money that's not going to the government that should. Um, and we don't want to become a nation like Greece where it's normal not to pay your taxes. I think most people agree we need to pay taxes. Just One of the things fair that's, ones. In the infra- that's in the infrastructure agreement, at least as released by the White House, that I think is very, very important is it's called resilience, $47 billion. Yeah. Basically setting up a situation where the least strong link collapsing doesn't take the whole thing down. And like we saw in the winter here in Texas, and we're 
almost saw this spring as the temperatures heated up. Yeah. As the, they warned us that we were going to get blackouts or brownouts if we didn't start turning up our air conditioners here in the spring. Exactly. So resilience, weatherized um, stuff, including bridges and dams, we, we've got some old stuff that needs to be fixed up, and it's good for the economy to be doing it even while it's being done. It's really good for the economy once it's done. So that's kind of a don't expect to see a big boom in the economy in the next year or so. This is one of the problems with the infrastructure bills in general is that they generally take five to eight years for the impact of what they've done to raise tax revenue, which is if you think of eight years, that's well beyond uh, two terms as, as the president. And it's just like investing. If you're a true investor, you're a long-term investor, and you invest now not for what you're going to get tomorrow or next week or next month. You invest for five to ten years minimum. Ten years is more like it so that you, you invest your money today expecting to have more money in ten years. No guarantees. There's no guarantees with the government either, but that's a good investment, particularly when you're investing in hard assets like the government does. We're about out of time for this hour. Next hour, we got lots of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about retail sales and consumer spending. Wait, that sounds like the same thing. It is, but it's different numbers. Um, we'll talk about... It it's the same thing, but it's different. Yeah, exactly. Uh, federal student loan stuff, um, lots of other stuff. But in the meantime, if you want to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary investment advice to individuals, trusts, foundations, uh, folks of high net worth. Uh, you can call us locally with voicemail on the weekend, real live people on the weeks. 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that line toll-free, 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can listen to the radio program going back lots of years. You can find our podcast. You can contact us through the contact form, or you can email us directly at Jake at tpwc.com or jeff at tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.